0: Hi, this is David. I bet you've heard the saying that food is medicine. But the thing is, we also want our food to be quick and tasty. Factor has the solution. Their delicious, ready to eat meals make eating better every day easy. They deliver prepared, chef crafted, and dietitian approved meals right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including Kato, Calorie Smart, Vegan and Veggie, and more. Plus, there's extra things to enjoy. They have over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, like snacks and smoothies, that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. You'll be glad to hear that Factor is affordable. I've done the math, and Factor meals are less expensive than takeout. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash living50. And use code LIVING50 to get 50% off. That's code LIVING50 at Factormeals.com slash LIVING50 to get 50% off. Thank you. Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast. Today's reading was edited and adapted from the book, Happiness, by Hugh Black, published in 1911. There is an art of happiness which is like the art of living. No list of rules can cover all the ground, for life does not go in straight lines and never runs exactly according to schedule. There is also the personal equation, the peculiar angle from which each person looks at life. Now it's true that no art can be taught beyond certain broad principles and general rules. The rest has to come through constant practice and through the enrichment of the mind, aided by inspiration and example and a little counsel. It's also true that some get more from teaching than others, though all can get something, if only through the opportunity to reconsider methods and examine results. Everyone will probably acknowledge that they have not completely mastered the art of happiness, and that they might have made more of their lives if they had known better. So with that in mind, There are some general rules I'd like to lay down, each of which will apply to many people, though of course not to all. There is a wisdom which is rather joyless, for it comes too late. Experience manages to get the lessons in somehow, but often it costs too much. If youth only knew, if age only could, is a French saying almost as sad as it is wise. It suggests that life is exhausted before the art of living is learned and that people find out how they might have been happy rather than how they can be. Not only is this art of living different with different people, but it is different with the same people at different times. Each period of life has its own peculiar pleasures, as it has its own tasks and its own ideals. A happy childhood is a precious possession, and carries a life through all the subsequent years. But it is largely the creation of others, though it is more often independent of circumstances than many imagine. Of all gifts, there is none more gracious than a happy childhood. Many a person is buoyed up all their life by the memory of a childhood paradise, and we may well seek to give children that Eden to which they can look back, even though we know it will become a lost Eden. By a right instinct, we seek to make young life happy, not only because it is their birthright, but also for its moral power over all the years to come. We are not always wise in the methods we employ, and indeed it is a separate art in itself, but the only way to do it is to give children love. Do that and they will create their own beautiful world out of the simple and natural. After childhood there is adolescence, with its hopes and enthusiasms, Themselves the source of much happiness, and often more so than when the hopes are actually realized. The problem here is to save the waste of power, to keep youth from recklessly squandering its gifts and throwing away its opportunities. The art of happiness depends much on the formation of habits and the regulation of desires. The next stage is manhood and womanhood with their serious tasks. The art to be learned here is how to carry the burdens and do the work of life, and stand up under the responsibilities. Then comes old age, which may be serene and gracious, if we have learned to, quote, see life steadily and see it whole. In other words, it should be the harvest time of the soul, laden with the spoils of life. Through all of this, perhaps the first lesson is to learn to accept limitations. Not only the limitations of each stage of life, but also the limitations of one's own lot and nature. The virtues of one age may be the vices of another. It indeed makes the wise grieve to see youth prematurely old, or to see age affecting the airs and follies of youth, playing with burnout passions. Half the secret of any art is learned when we know its limits. The sculptor who never seems to accept the limitations of the medium, who thinks they can make it do what oil painting does naturally, bites their nails fruitlessly, and never learns their job. And yet this counsel to accept limitations is not so simple as it looks, for we never know the limits till we try. All the time the boundaries get pushed out, and old records are smashed, and new limits set. The world moves by a disdain of mediocrity and the restless launching of the soul for unknown worlds. True, there is often the mistake that assumes that the common is the commonplace, but just as often people lose the large because they never try for it. Many lose happiness because they think it is not for them. They seem to look upon it as like a wealth of limited amount and unequally distributed. The whole problem of the art of happiness lies within the simple rule to learn to accept limitations. But what are the limits of happiness itself? And what are our own personal and special limitations? A person may be satisfied by one of two methods, either by getting what they want, or by wanting what they get. The former method is the first natural one for us, to reach out the hands for everything which the heart craves. It is a method without any end to it, insatiable, like filling a sack with holes. This method does have its place in evolution, for progress comes along the line of desire, and a certain divine discontent has led us out from the safe and the known, to make great ventures and explore new shores. However, its limits are certain. The second method must come in sooner or later to save a life from dissipation. It means the acceptance of the inevitable, to recognize the limits, to acknowledge conditions and stern facts, This method means the education of desire and some discipline of the will. Is it not better, asked the great Stoic Emperor, to use what is in thy power like a free soul, than to desire in a slavish and abject way what is not in thy power? With this view, the ideal becomes not that we should have what we want, but that we should want what we ought to have. We all learn more or less to moderate our desires. It sounds like a sad confession to make, but we cannot advance in the art of happiness till we are prepared to do this. It may not be so sad as it sounds though, for many desires are foolish and impossible. It is not that we set the goal too high, but that often it is no true goal at all. When we accept our limitations, we at least have a chance of really achieving something. When we get down from our high horse, we at least have our feet on realities. If we let expectations run too far ahead, anything will be a disappointment. If we look for high ecstasy and endless passion in any condition of life, We are sure of some dark moments when the world turns black. Everybody has to bow to the inevitable, or break, but not everybody learns to make use of the inevitable. When we do, we often find that the shutting of one door makes the opening of another possible. We cannot refrain from admiring the individual who makes the most of what they are and have and it is there that we find the great difference among men and women. We are given to explaining a person's success by declaring that they were born lucky, and we dismiss our own failure by saying that we had bad luck. One person is born, we think, under a beneficent star. Another finds that the stars in their courses fight against them. Most of this talk is idle, though it is true that opportunities seem lavished on some while others hardly get a chance in life. But while this affects worldly success, happiness is not dependent on a shining success. There are many more opportunities for a reasonable happiness than there are for brilliant successes in life. All places that the eye of heaven visits are to a wise person, ports, and happy havens. There may be happy havens even for an exile. When we meet our fate frankly, we discover that much remains, and that there are many new compensations. Contentment with one's lot is a large part of the art of happiness. Some people recommend, as the method of attaining this, the habit of comparing one's lot with those less fortunate. Lucretius explains it this way, It is a pleasant thing to behold, from the shore, the dangers of another upon the mighty ocean, when the winds are lashing the sea. Not because it is a pleasure for anyone to be in misery, but because it is a pleasant thing to see those misfortunes from which you yourself are free. We can usually say about anything that befalls us that it might have been worse. A contented spirit learns to count up blessings and set them over against deprivations, just as a merchant adds their gains as well as their losses. We do learn not to cry over spilt milk, and to try to carry the next pitcher more carefully. Those who are always comparing their poverty with the wealth of others, always thinking of their disadvantages and never of their benefits, can never really be courting happiness. While those who are grateful for what they have, and rather compare it with lower states learn a good measure of contentment. It is part of wisdom to see the good of life, and to recognize the blessings of our lot. and We may well count the cultivation of this habit as part of the art of happiness. Think of how little we have done for ourselves, and how much has been done for us we have entered into the labors and sacrifices of others, and are partakers of a rich inheritance. It is thus fitting that we should train ourselves in a grateful habit of mind. In addition to being grateful for our blessings and opportunities, we should learn to enjoy experiences and pleasures while they last. Our best gifts are unrecognized till they are taken from us. This is especially true of the common gift of health, which we take as a matter of course. But it is also true of many other gifts. Often we only realize how gracious a friendship has been when we have lost it. When the well runs dry, we begin to put a value on common water. A grateful nature has this faculty of keen appreciation of the things of the present. Most of us let the occasions go past. We know that we ought to have been happy last year, or month, or week, in circumstances now gone, which we realize would mean great happiness now. Why should we wait till some calamity comes? before we will see the blessings we possess and might enjoy if we but would. In every mind there are lumps of knowledge never assimilated and never really understood, and in every life there are experiences and states never realized. Nothing in the world lasts, so we might meanwhile practice the habit of appreciating our blessings while they last. For this is a large part of the art of happiness.